Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done, and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment, before the monsters came, humanoids from the deep dive welcome to the podcast humanoids from the deep dive where we dig deep into the meanings and contexts of your favorite monsters and monster movies each episode we'll see guests and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore today's episode we will be covering a film with uh, this one's a fun one for me because it has a literal ton of varied uh, monsters. It's not just one entity. It's every 15 minutes, there's something new that's entirely different. Uh, we're covering spookies today. So, uh, and, and uh, also we have a very special guest, uh, Brad Henderson from one of our favorite distributors, uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. We're so, so pleased to have you on. It's perfect for this episode. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Also follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes and Looper uh, on everything genre film with, you know, bylines and chapters on pretty much everything monster all over the place because i'm if it's monsters i'm obsessed with it and i'm very pleased to introduce today our 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 excellent co-host for today's episode our illustrious editor slash co-host andre couture thank you so much for being here andre i wouldn't miss this episode for the world you better not because i wouldn't have it without you that's a scientific fact and uh, once again, uh, Brad Henderson, for the folks at home, is uh, the acquisitions and special features producer for Vinegar Syndrome. And uh, honestly, I can't really think of any guests off the top of my head that, that I would be j- at this jazz to have on the show for this type of episode. So, Brad, love your work. Thank you so much. Once again. No, no. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, vinegar syndrome, we, we have, uh, a great time. I have a, you know, a, a, you know, I work with a perfect team, you know, with, uh, a couple of us do acquisitions and, and, um, you know, we discuss our, you know, favorite movies and all, all of us have pretty much grew up on the same, same things, uh, same, same films and we're into the same things. So like, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of fun because as soon as you bring up something or something you maybe haven't thought about in years, it's. You know, we just kind of go crazy over it and, you know, just try our best to, you know, track stuff down. And yeah, I mean, my my main job is, like I said, uh, you know, acquisitions, finding film rights, finding film material. Uh, you know, a couple of us do that um, at, at, at VS. And then, um, you know, one of my big things is special features producer, just, you know, doing you know, content, finding people, uh, that's a big thing that I do, yeah. finding people, which goes along with, you know, the acquisition side of things. But yeah, arranging videographers and, uh, you know, producing these. Now we're kind of making bigger uh, pieces and documentaries rather than just stacking like 10 interviews on a disc. We're kind of making a more document documentary approach, which, you know, I like a little bit more because I feel that 
you know, sometimes and it's not a hit against anybody. It's just, I know what it looks like when it's cool, when it stacks up with like 10 interviews on a disc, mm-hmm. but there, there's just so much filler and so much overlap on those interviews. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can be relatively boring for 20 minutes hearing someone talk about something that may not be that interesting. Um, yeah. So I kind of like this bigger, you know, thing that we're doing with uh, these docs, anywhere range between 30 minutes to sometimes even an hour and a half. Um, yeah, they're they're quite a a pleasure to put together, and it gives me, you know, I'm a filmmaker myself, a filmmaker at heart, so it kind of gives me an opportunity to do that, um, you know, produce and kind of mold these stories and through lines and uh, together, and you know, work with editors and you know, it kind of feels like I'm making a movie at the same time, which is kind of neat. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, we have a good time doing it and happy to be here and happy to talk about one of the weirder movies that we've released. <laughs> well, <laughs> the ones sure. with like the, yeah. one of the bigger stories and, you know, uh, it was, it was one of the films that, um, I started working, uh, a vinegar syndrome during the kind of, um, I mean, I've done a lot for BS way, way, even way back with night train to tear i was you know doing reviews on their material because you know as you guys probably know there's not a whole lot of uh this collecting mentality and and blogging so much wasn't that prominent back you know uh eight nine years ago Mm -hmm, like it wasn't that big as far as like this collecting thing so uh, I reached out to him, you know, there was no one really writing about these vinegar syndrome movies at the, at the time. Um, and they sent me, you know, some, some of their stuff and I would write about it. It's just a hundred percent up my alley and stuff I grew up on. And slowly I started, you know, kind of doing things for them just because I, you know, I, I knew, I knew about film rights and I knew material and I knew actors and producers and I, you know, had my hands into this stuff because I've been at it since I was a teen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it came around The Undertaker. They were like, okay, well, you know, this is your thing with, you know, VHS tapes. We need that, you know, master for The Undertaker because the negative was cut for some weird reason and no one really knew mm. why and the footage was missing. And the only way to get it back was, you know, uh, a tape for The Undertaker. And, you know, the history of The Undertaker was never actually released on VHS. It just had a theatrical run, and then it was shelved for years and years, and it came out on DVD from Code Red, but it was the cut version. You know, it was like 20 minutes missing, or 15 minutes missing from the movie. And it was, it was just bootlegs of that tape, so I was able to, you know, spend a couple months trying to track down one of those original bootleg tapes. Um, you know, at least try to get a first or second gen um, off of it, and mm-hmm. I... I found an original tape, which was, you know, the best quality possible for tape, you know, um, and we were able to insert that footage back. And ever since then, they, you know, started, you know, using me for additional things, finding talent and you know, helping with certain things. And I brought some films with film rights and material to them that I knew about. Um, and yeah, we just started working together and it was probably around that time I, I, ask about spookies you know i said i i I know the film has a super duper troubled history um yeah and i said but Mm -hmm. what was you know i I said i always hear these reasons from people like oh it's just not possible or rights are a mess and it's just usually that's not the case it's just that you know 
someone needs to try harder. And um, I said, what, what is the main reason? And it was just like, well, you know, couldn't, you can't find the owner. He's just gone. You know, he's, you know, had his, his son passed away, you know, during the production of the movie and, um, you know, the film was a mess and it bombed and he just kind of disappeared. And I said, well, that sounds easy. I find people all the time. <laughs> and so, yeah, I set out to find this guy and I found him and, you know, Michael Lee and, uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and I called my colleagues up and I said, I found him and they're like, holy shit, let's fucking do this. And yeah, we did it. <laughs> and it all, all came to light and I was just sitting there thinking, holy shit, like fucking spookies is happening. This is going to be, <laughs> This is going to be absolutely insane. Like I, people are going to go crazy over this because this is like a highly requ requested thing through the years, you know, and just I knew like how kind of difficult it was to find unless you had a tape uh, for mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's bootlegs, of course, galore for the film, but no official release. Even that like DVD that came out of France like a few years before mm -hmm. it was a bootleg. Oh, yeah. I mean, Michael never That's... licensed it to anybody. Yeah, um, that, so yeah, that's the copy I had for a while until I heard the news, and I was like, yeah. you know, I, I might still hold on to that just for the novelty. So it's like it's sitting <laughs> on my shelf right next to the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, no, that's <laughs> absolutely fine. Yeah, no, it's you know, it's just we we're able to bring the whole film to you know, it's uh, HD, which has obviously never been seen before, and it's always something you know, you, you can have a comedy on HD. It doesn't really change much but when you mm -hmm. have something that's special effects heavy it's it's very important to see this stuff in hd or 4k yeah. uhd and you know it, it brings the movie to a new light it's almost like mm -hmm. watching it for the first time again mm -hmm. yeah those effects are just absolutely fantastic like seeing it in like the hd transfer and it looks like it was scanned and restored in 4k uh mastered onto a blu-ray disc so my first time watching Spookies was like with a group of people in October watching from like a YouTube rip. And like, even then we had, we got so much enjoyment out of it because we had no idea what we were in for and hearing that this was going to get an HD release uh, a few years after I first saw it for the first time. Um, I popped it in when it came in from the mail and it just, it was exactly like you said. It was like watching it for the first time again. It, yeah, it no, I, I get to rel relive that quite a bit. And because um, I used to, uh, you know, and when I was in very, very young, you know, probably like when I was like 12, 13, you know, I, I was raised on movies when I was like four or five watching horror films and started working a little bit, like helping my parents during the summer and mowing lawns and and stuff like that and i got really into watching movies around that time you know when i was like 10 11 renting everything from the store and at one point there just wasn't anything else to rent from the store and i wanted to find i can't remember the name of the movie but i wanted to find something um and i told my mom i said i want this tape but i can't find it anywhere you know we were going to flea markets and i would buy stuff and you know uh buy used movies at the video store and my mom said well there's this thing you know called ebay and we can look for it on there and i was like like i said 11 or 12 so 
you just search for the tape and it's there for like 25 cents <laughs> you know 50 cents what tapes went for back then and basically they were free if you just paid for shipping for a lot of these things and um Upon looking, like I said, I can't remember the title, but looking at those tapes, then I just saw that there was like box lots of like horror, like, you know, and mm-hmm. action and video stores kind of going out, you know, a, a business or just selling is like, you know, DVDs coming along. So when I was like 13, 14 years old, like as I got older, like these box lots started popping up like 160 tapes. 200 tapes pay like $75 for shipping and you know, like a 20, $20 for the lot, you yeah. know, cause at the time and there was no collecting, there was no, no, nothing like that. I mean, you could get tapes for basically a quarter. Um, and I would just buy these box lots. I would save up my money and my mom would purchase them for me. And you know, I'd get these huge boxes in the mail and you'd open up the box and the, smell of smoke would hit you in the face uh, it was beautiful <laughs> you know it's, it's such like a gross smell but it brings like yeah yeah no i smell it now and it's like every once in a while i'll catch a wind of it and i'm like <laughs> i know that's supposed to be gross but my god that brings me back you yeah. know um but yeah no I, I i would just i would get so much random shit i mean that's what it was it was like you know 75 horror VHS tapes for, you know, $25 and here you pay this for shipping and I would get it and I would just, most of the stuff was new to me or, you know, I'd have dupes and, you know, give them to friends or sell them or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then one, one time in one of those box lots, I got spookies and uh, I saw the cover and I was like, man, I I hope all these fucking monsters are in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I put it in and I was just like, I was just blown away. You better like, not God. false advertise monsters to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like, that's how so I am all the time. Movie. Yeah. And I remember I mean, that it, is like... a healthy attitude though for, for like box <laughs> art on horror movies, because like, like nine, maybe, maybe not nine times out of 10. I was like a soft seven and a half times out of 10. Uh, you're going to get that box shock disappointment where it's just like the box art never happens. Like, oh my god, there's a bunch of Nazi werewolves fighting, like, allied unicorn riding, like, wizards? And it's like, oh, no, there's, like, a dog with a Nazi uniform. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just happening off camera. They, they just talk about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's that's what it was exciting about it, you know, because it's the same thing as watching monster movies, you know, it's mm-hmm. the same thing as, like, you know, you don't see the monster until the last 15 minutes, or something like that and it's just like it was just overwhelming with like i remember the movie not being very good it was just i was (laughs) what's good about it is the ambition and the crazy special effects and i took notice of that when i was younger and it quickly became a favorite and something i would rewatch a lot because just you know there was a few films like that that had monsters and i was really into the same thing like the neon maniacs you know when i first saw that Mm -hmm. when i was little and just like 12 monsters and trading cards like that's amazing (laughs) like this movie makes no sense whatsoever but i get to see 12 monsters like kill people like that sounds cool or something like the guyver when i was like holy shit Mm -hmm. like you get to watch monsters like fucking fight in this movie like it's insane (laughs) to me this one, yeah. like one of the things that I love about the, this film in particular is so you can always tell if a director really loves the genre by where they put their money, you know, like, 
And even if they have a low budget, you can tell if they love monster movies, like in their heart of hearts, by if the limited budget they have goes mostly to make the monsters good. And this is a movie where you can tell, like, okay, there's lots of issues, but the actual, like, creature design and execution clearly get more attention and love. And you could even tell in the credits where they put, like, crew first. Yeah, the- <laughs> <laughs> they definitely like, did that. which is uncommon so i'm like oh you know exactly what your priority is and i love that and even with like the the reshoot material uh, of like the monsters they put in like uh like the were cat and the uh the count baron guy you know the creepy mm-hmm. old dude um well you can tell it was a they spent less money and attention and time on it but it still has some modicum of charm to it mm-hmm. where they they still put in some some effort there that it wasn't a uh all right let's just make these monsters whatever like let's just like they're not gonna see him it doesn't matter yeah mm-hmm. it, it still it still has that like um that fun thread to it even though like um it, it doesn't quite match the level of artistry on one hand of um say like the Michael Gingold uh, and Glenn Baisley directed half-ish of the movie. It still, it still hits that charm where like you kind of just forgive it for being not very good. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like on that note, let's pivot into our actual reviews because uh, we've kind of danced around certain things that we we love, etc. But um, but Andre, mm-hmm. since I know that you uh really wanted to do this episode would you like to start us (laughs) off good sir sure yeah totally um so i okay this is where like the the traditional rating system kind of like betrays me because like out of a five star rating system uh realistically and idealistically this movie measured base like on a base merit of um entertainment and uh straightforwardness and i don't know just uh effectiveness of like telling the story um it's gonna get a low score but i'm very biased with this movie so uh i i already put it at like a three and a half ish out of five just on enjoyment Mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of how i've been looking at like how i I don't know, arbitrarily, like, quote-unquote, rate things. I don't know. It's just like a, um, just an organization system. Hey, you don't got to defend it to me, because my rating system is, does it have monsters in it, and do they mess (laughs) the monsters up? Yeah. I mean, like, if I could, so if if the the second half was a little bit more uh, tight, I don't know, there's something kind of slow about, like, the second film unit wrapping up the movie that just kind of drags out if i was a little bit tighter i would definitely have give this like a say like a four possibly but i'm sticking with a three and a half Mm -hmm. just because this has for me like endless rewatch value um this is one of my halloween rotation movies like i'm gonna watch it every october no matter what i mean that's a reason i accept so (laughs) (laughs) 
you're preaching to the choir there good sir um love it uh thank you so much brad would you like to go next as our honored guest uh yeah sure um as far as like rating it i mean uh to kind of piggyback off what andre said it's uh you know i i uh jaws is a five-star movie Mm -hmm. but so is are a lot of shot on video movies for me Mm -hmm. um you know i i I rate things on various because I, I actually have this argument and discussion with friends all the time. They're like, "How do you rate something that's like a perfect movie of five, but you also rate this piece of trash like <laughs> five stars?" And my my thing is, like I said, to piggyback off what Andre said, is that I enjoy it. Like I, I, you know, there's certain things that I can rate based off artistic merit. But mm-hmm. what's the fucking point sometimes? Like, mm-hmm. there can be a great looking movie, but it's shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it, like, I'm going to rate it a three and a half because it looks good. No, I'm going to rate it a fucking one because it's not very well, good. Right. And not to 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 barge into your review, but to just add to that, like, for, there are some movies that some people would say are five star movies that I'm like, really? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like, I'm going to call you out Boyhood. That is not a five star movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I could go into why I could do an episode about breaking down why that is a subpar film. But let's not act like all of these so-called highfalutin five star movies are what they want to be and as successful as we like to pretend they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, and you know, like like Spookies, I would say like I'd have to like look at my letterbox ratings, but. I mean, I would probably offhand give it like a three and a half, four stars, um, you know, just mm-hmm. because it's a really fun movie. You know, I, I rate a lot of, you know, Academy Award winners, four stars as Spookies an Academy Award winner. Absolutely not. If you're going to do that, then it would be Spookies would be a half star and, you know, three billboards and Ebbing, Missouri would be four stars. <laughs> like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to look at like it's it's all going to be. You know, it's all subjective, one. Mm-hmm. And, and, and two, like, you know, like I said, th- there's so many reasons that go into rating a film. And, you know, I find, uh, like, Spookies, something that I could rewatch once a year versus a, a wonderful film that won, you know, like, let's just say uh, uh, Moonlight. Moonlight's mm-hmm. a great film. I'm going to probably maybe watch it twice in my entire life. I'll rewatch it years and years, and years down the road. And that's, I consider maybe that a five star movie four star movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I'm not going to rewatch it all the time. Like I am spookies. They, they, you know, there's some movies are just fun, you know, yeah. you, mm-hmm. you, you want to watch and, and you want to just have a good time. And then that's one of them. And honestly, a lot of horror films are like that. You know, mm-hmm, it's yeah. a lot, you know, people are always like, oh, you rated that a four or five. That's not a very good movie. And I was like, I watch that shit every fucking year if I wanted to. Like, it's going to it's great. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so, yeah, my rating system's all jacked, but I also don't care what people say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. So uh, thank you for that. I I agree. Fun fact, though, for the folks at home. So I have the two screen, like two monitor editor set up. And while we're recording, I'm actually watching Moonlight right now. That's not true. Um, <laughs> but I do love that film, which is true. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. 
Okay, so for my review, it's interesting because I have kind of the same as both of you. I have a very amorphous set of inconsistent criteria that there's a lot of relevant factors for me to rating the quality of a film and which I emphasize. Admittedly, it's subjective for everyone, but what are you going to do? I'm a person. Um, I don't claim to be objective. And so um, uh, I'll still try, though, to, to... approximated enough that people don't say that I'm a charlatan. Um, I would say because of some of the inconsistencies in, in, like y'all mentioned, and in the performances, which are a little inconsistent as well, um, you know, my, my base rating would probably on its own devices be maybe two star movie, but then it would get pushed up there because I, I really prioritize the fact that, they have a number of very different, non-repetitive, well-designed monsters that they obviously put a lot of thought into and are pretty dang successful with the execution. A lot of the effects super land. All those things were really what they were trying to accomplish, and they did that well. And so that pushes it maybe up to three and a half for me, all combined. And then it gets knocked down half a star more because of all the farting that the Muckmen do. (laughs) And here's why. Here's why that knocks them down half a star. I know some people think it's funny. It's memorable. They love it. But for me, those muckmen are well-designed and would be really creepy in that scene Mm -hmm. if it weren't for all those goddamn thoughts. And so I got to knock it down half a star, lands at a three for me. Uh, Fair enough. (laughs) That's, That's entirely the producer's fault, if I remember correctly. Um, It's just like, because it's otherwise such a successful scene and a great design and they don't just add one they like layer that sucker they go ham on that like (laughs) it's like they had like a kid with a soundboard just like matching the buttons yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, in fact the producer i don't even remember the name of the producer because i rewatched the um the amazing uh documentary one of two actually on the on the release, the uh, twisted tale unmaking of spookies. And I remember the original filmmakers talking about uh, the producer uh, whose name I'm forgetting right now, Michael Lee, but he, Michael Lee, that's right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He, (laughs) he suggested, first of all, that the title of the film be the bowel eruptors, which makes total sense given the muck men scene, because I think that's what, he was really trying to push like this mm-hmm. scatological humor thing. Yeah, he's like, and no, you don't understand. They're bowels. They are erupting bowels. Yeah. You don't understand. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the real horror of the story is that there's not a single bathroom in this entire house. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but no. Um, yeah. The, I, I'm pretty sure that's one of the things that he had like terrible ideas about that somehow just like made it into the movie it happens i mean i have plenty of terrible ideas i would make into the podcast if it weren't reined in by a bunch of smart humans (laughs) (laughs) so it definitely happens (laughs) um so so for our next segment this is kind of something that we're, we're doing for the first time but i actually really like the idea and and so maybe it'll be a regular thing folks uh but we're going to do like a monster breakdown segment which works particularly well here because there are so many interesting creatures um 
And I was wondering, Andre, because this is a, an idea that you really pushed forward. Would you like to, to explain what the, what the segment is? Yeah. So um, there, there's like a veritable smorgasbord of, of uh, monsters in this whole thing. So rather than like try to do an exhaustive um, like coverage of like the movie or, you know, focus on one specific monster and like, you know, cause since there are so many monsters in this movie, um, they don't get a lot of dedicated screen time, you know? Cause like, uh, as mentioned before, the muck men, they're in like one sequence and then that's it. <clears throat> we move on to the next, uh, the next room, the next scene, the next, uh, set piece monster kill um and then we move on from there so it's kind of like a um it's an old dark house setup where you know these kids come into a house to party but then it's haunted and then they release a bunch of monsters through a ouija board so it's kind of like a uh if you look at it in terms of a tabletop rpg uh, you have this bestiary of monsters that are specific to the environment. And what I was thinking is that we just sort of, I don't know, classify them, just go into, like, first of all, how ridiculous these monsters are and uh, how uniquely interesting each individual one is, where mm-hmm. when you're watching the movie, like, you're just like, what is that? That's a cat. Is that a... Why does he have a hook for a hand? Why is he, <laughs> like, wearing a gold vest? What's going... Is is he wearing spurs? You know, and then... So, it, it's just interesting to focus on one of those monsters or a couple of those monsters and just mm-hmm. see if we can make a little bit of sense out of it. If, if anything, it's going to come off as, like, a little kind of a... I don't want to use the word like fan fiction, but uh, you know, just just sort of add our own sense of context to it and just have fun with yeah. it. I mean, if you think about it, I'm, I'm gonna get real nerdy for a second. This is a continuation of exactly the type of endeavor that Aristotle would have loved because nobody loved taxonomies more than Aristotle, and we're gonna try and eventually build our way to a taxonomy of monsters for you fine folks at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a really great one to start with. And Aristotle would 100% be like a big Spookies fan, of course. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> honestly, uh, his greatest probably regret in life was not to live to the day where art progressed, where he could see Spookies. <laughs> He's just waiting until like we can capture light, <laughs> you know, on a magnetic material so we can view it so that Spookies can be made. he's just just watching from the heavens (laughs) assuming that you believe in the heavens uh i'll say he'll be watching from elysian fields he'll be watching from from the greek positive afterlife (laughs) interpositive half-life the the, uh the big magnetic tape in the sky (laughs) absolutely yeah Um, yeah this this, uh, sort of a living bestiary i guess i would call it absolutely that's perfect um well would you um uh like to start us off with yours yeah so okay i i have to start off with um with the were cat for the name 
I think Werecat's just fine because he's obviously a humanoid being. Like he runs around on two on two legs. Uh, sometimes he's on all fours, like when he's in the presence of his master. But I'm thinking that's more of like a um, maybe like a power dynamic sort of thing that he has. But the thing to address here is uh, the way that this werecat is dressed. And that's the most puzzling aspect. And I think the only explanation for me is that this person, before having been turned into a werecat, was at some point a magician's assistant, which is why he's wearing the gold gold vest. And he was in some sort of uh, accident where, you know, like they saw someone in half or something like that. And he just gets his hand stuck in there and his hand gets cut off at some point, And then he just has a prosthetic hook. So the, the werecat specifically, it's some type of panther, which gives him a, uh, a heightened sense of smell, which you actually get to see early on in the movie when we see Billy uh, running away from the house after the surprise birthday party scene. And then he gets chased by the werecat slashed in the face with his good hand, and then slowly starts burying him alive. And you can tell that he's had this hook for a while because the fact that he has a hook for uh, his supporting hand when he's dumping dirt on Billy doesn't slow him down at all, even though he's still kind of doing it slowly. He tracks him in that forest purely by uh, sense of smell and low light vision. So his heightened senses definitely help him. Uh, track him down for like the final category inherently being like aware creature is somewhat of like a magical construct so he's a magical creature like a cursed magical creature with his own sets of like strengths and weaknesses there's no evidence that that he possesses any sort of keen sense of hearing it just seems like uh he has like a normal level of hearing like he did when he was human and he does wear a collar in some of the close-ups that you see in the movie so my my thinking is the collar is the magical article that creon the uh the old wizard uh uses to exert control over him and that's mm. why like you know when he's sitting in his chair at his chessboard uh he's always just kind of like snuggling up against the chair and creon and designated his master so I think mm-hmm. theoretically, if whatever talisman or something that the wizard is using to control the werecat, if it's passed on to someone else, they could then relinquish control of the werecat and just sort of like sick him against anything, anyone. Mm-hmm. That's my rough uh, bestiary for the gold vested hook handed werecat. You said rough. <laughs> that's pretty, it's pretty deep. I love it. <laughs> yeah my mind just like starts filling in details that i didn't write down yeah that's pretty legit so right that's 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 rough for me <laughs> no no i mean that's yeah, it's that's great yeah no absolutely um i i i'm unfortunately not that prepared i just like some of the monsters <laughs> oh yeah no, no totally fine that's also a legitimate mode of being on this show <laughs> Yeah, I guess um, one of my one of my favorites is I've always been, you know, just fascinated alone spiders. Like I, I like spiders in general. I'm not afraid of spiders. I 
I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I won't kill spiders. That's one thing. It always drives people crazy. I'm like super anti-killing mm-hmm. spiders. They're just a really like they're kind of majestic to me. I, you know, they're like little mathematicians <laughs> and like constru- construction workers because they're able to, you know, do do these webs and it's just I, I don't know. I, I've watched spiders build webs and I think it's amazing. Uh, and I like the spider lady. Uh, you know, the, the, the spider woman that comes in, you know, she's, uh, it's, 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 you know, in, mm-hmm. in the movie, it's just not like she, cause she's able to lure, like, she's almost kind of like, mm-hmm. um, like a, kind of like a succubus in a way. Yeah. Uh, cause she, she lure, lures the, the guy in, um, she just kind yeah. of appears and it, it is so awkward because, uh, the shots that are, are followed by she's the camera's always in a different position in a different angle every time she appears and it's like they don't understand camera left or camera right when they're making the movie they do not understand camera placement <laughs> it's just like i i don't know if they just did pickup shots a lot or they just had no i mean obviously they had no idea what they were doing um when they were making this movie but they did know their monsters and i, I think that's the cool mm-hmm. one is because you know one it's it's you know you see cobwebs like as the guys like going through the hallways mm-hmm. and she's you know saying come this way come this way um, so you know like something's gonna happen it's it's like any movie where you see you know the character trampling through the woods or or a basement and there's like you know obviously there's spider webs placed there because you know some shit's gonna go down with spiders especially in fantasy movies. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a big thing. You know, there's plenty of fantasy movies where people fight spider-like creatures. And that's always, like, the calling thing. Like, that's a little bit of the super quick, like, foreshadowing really quick. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, they're going down a tunnel. There's spider webs. So they're obviously going to go through a bunch of tarantulas like in Indiana Jones. Or they're going to uh, encounter this huge spider um, in, like, something like Harry Potter or whatever magic movie there is with spiders there's always like spiders in magic movies and which is also comes into place because there is like this magical side to the spider lady um so yeah she she lures the guy in there and then obviously it's you know mm-hmm. you're going through cobwebs so it's like is the house just musty and dirty and then they get into lair and the big you know the big webs behind him and then comes this total like uh, multiple transformations yeah um, you know, so her face changes at first and then it gets bigger and mm-hmm. bigger and then forms kind of like, you know, um, uh, <laughs> like the, like the abdomen and thorax, like start to like pop out, like out of her head and it, it starts to mold a spider, but it's like kind of backwards at the same time. Um, and then the legs come out and then obviously the, 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 the uh, spider hose tongue mm-hmm. sucker comes out and then just immediately sucks him dry so it does like have like oh it's a spider woman but it also kind of has this like succubus aspect to it uh yeah. where it just kind of sucks the guts and soul out of somebody and i that's actually one of my favorites in the movie just because it seems that even though the movie's silly there's multiple layers to that monster mm-hmm. It's just not a monster there. Like, you know, I also like, you know, we'll get into the other Mm -hmm. one uh, later, but like a lot of the monsters are just there and they do one thing. Uh, The spider lady actually has a couple things going on to where Mm -hmm. it seems that maybe she's a little bit more top tier 
of the monsters. Yeah. Like she could be has like some type of leadership. But mm-hmm. anyways, yeah, that's that's been one of my favorites just because there's multiple layers to it. Well, yeah, because she definitely like has like deception and she also seems to know his name too. Because I, I was just rewatching it last night, and um, he like when he gets lured in. Yeah, she mentions like she says Mister something. Yeah, and then he's like, "Wait, yeah. how do you know my name?" And it's like, "I talked to your friends, so like she knows who he is and that he's with a group and that he's looking for them and like." they had never seen each other Mm -hmm. before that moment. Yeah. I I guess multiple layers is the wrong thing to say. She has more abilities than what is actually shown and more Mm -hmm. depth and um, ultimately more power, you know? Um, So she is more one of the more powerful monsters, just very underutilized in the sense of the story, which that's the movie's not about the, (laughs) the tears or hierarchy of the monsters. (laughs) Yeah. They're just there. Um, I'm sure that's not the intention of the filmmakers, but it's, you know, it it is something that you could, you know, if you were to, this made a sequel or, you know, a remake, there's obviously a little bit more depth on that. You know, you could have a spinoff of basically what I'm saying is if this was made today, we would have a spinoff of the Spider Woman. And, and Soupy's extended know, universe, or, or Star Wars, or something like that. She she would definitely yeah. have her own series. No, she she totally gives off like the sense of um, royalty, almost like a. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to draw too many comparisons to like Xenomorph because of like the the tube thing that shoots out of her mouth, like the mouth and the mouth. Yeah, she's elegant. It's 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 just weird because they they really do, I don't remember them going back to it. There is that other spider creature that that pops up, but I don't think it's the same thing, if I remember correctly. It's completely different. Um, I, I do love the Spider-Woman. I would totally watch a Spider-Woman spinoff or a Spider-Woman extended universe or some such. I mean, I know not everything needs an extended universe, but most <laughs> yeah. monster things do. I mean, they're given Army of the Dead an extended universe, so why not, you know? Yeah, I mean, literally, like, the Universal Monsters invented the extended universe. Like, I think you get a blank check. Yeah. Um, my my chosen monster was, uh, they call it the Grim Reaper in the credits, but that is an entirely mm-hmm. separate astral entity or angel or whatever your mythos is. So even the visage is the same. I call this one the Grit Reaper because it's made of stone and then it's animated to patrol around and right. give comeuppance to trespassers <laughs> once summoned. So I was I was thinking about this being and it seems as though to me that it has some sort of categorical resemblance to your gargoyles, possibly even golems as sort of clay or stone magically animated beings. And the way I thought about it from its behavior in the film, uh, I, I would imagine that they it, it's a guardian of a sort, typically found probably around doorways or inside or around super secretive areas, particularly where there's magical artifacts uh, or magical ceremonies that need a higher level of protection. And uh, so, so your gargoyles as a supernaturally animated stone entity uh, are often traditionally supposed to serve the purpose of scaring away evil by being, I don't know, scarier and more evil. I don't know what the exact logic is. Mm -hmm. Probably that. Um, Yeah. Kind of like scarecrows, mm -hmm. but 
animated i guess right yeah exactly we're like like you know scary things like pop up and like oh i'm gonna do some supernatural evil oh no that thing's scarier than me um and that's the plan but in this particular case it's not a winged entity it's it's inside the house not atop it so i i imagine that for this one uh what i call grit reapers are designed to protect from corporeal uh trespassers to these sorts of areas that they shouldn't be in and shouldn't trespass into and so they're they're a friend to those whose grounds they protect and those who animate them much like the uh the werecat probably has some subservience to whoever magically controls it um and they're as we see in the film steadfast foes to trespassers and assailants like once the grit reaper is animated it just goes like to town and hunts down folks with its giant incredibly sharp surprisingly so um scythe like just like a little nick is like oh no my legs wide open <laughs> yeah, it's pretty brutal, actually. <laughs> it's super brutal and very quickly. Uh, and then uh, I, I imagine its flesh is some sort of, you know, uh, as what it looks like a magically animated stone that they can return to its stone form, is what I'm picturing. So it's basically like a uh, like a cousin to gargoyles that have a slightly different function. And it, it, it seems like it has some defense mechanisms built into it as well. Mm-hmm. Because uh, one of the the guys tries to grab the scythe, I think um, it, it also does a really good job of like um, pushing its assailants out of the area that they're in, mm-hmm. and it forces them onto the roof. So they're like trying to get away from it, and trying to get back into another window, and it's just slowly pursuing them. But then one of the the members of the group tries to like wrestle the scythe out of its hands, which is not going to happen because it's like fused to him. It's like part of him. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, his hands start burning and there's like what looks like acid smoke or something like that, Mm -hmm. just coming up from it. Um, So it it must be some kind of toxic material. I don't know. Um, I kind of wondered if, and this is getting super nerdy, if instead of being made out of stone, it was made out of compressed lye. Because because oh, one, the color's right, because it doesn't look like like marble or anything. It looks like a solid white stone, which is what a massive amount of compressed lye would look like. And also that would explain why it burns a living crap out of your hand. But of course, I can't do uh, folks at home. Sorry, I can't do a chemical analysis of the Grit Reaper. I would love to, but I got to find it first. <laughs> well actually that's that's one of mine too was was the reaper um but something that mm-hmm. i feel you didn't touch on that that i always felt is it's another thing where it could have been a slasher film for a little mm-hmm. bit because it felt very much uh it felt like scooby-doo-ish too like there's just someone under that it did that is controlling like the eyes and you could tell that it's obviously a mask because like the mouth has like the netting Mm -hmm. over it i mean that's obviously just part of the costume but it really does feel like someone's just wearing that um you know it like in there like that's one of the killers like in the movie not that it's just you know the 
the actor wearing the costume. Yeah. So it feels like partially slash or partially Scooby-Doo. Um, and I always found that sequence pretty fun because also the guy is trying to get out of the room and he just like flies <laughs> through the door. Um, it's just a great way to escape uh, is just running. And apparently you can just dive <laughs> through the door and then eventually like the next shot, you're just standing up and grabbing the people out. And that's when the blade comes across. But yeah, no, I, I always felt that was kind of um, a more human, mm-hmm. in more humanoid mm-hmm. monster in, in the film. Um, it, did, it honestly not even felt like a monster. And another thing where you could just totally make a movie off of that guy, mm-hmm. like killing all the teenagers oh, yeah. and kids yeah. at, the, at the thing. And then, you know, you take off the mask and it's, you know, the guy that they met in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. that's trying to scare him off because it's his property. <laughs> It's the chief justice of the Supreme Court. (laughs) (laughs) He's got the, honestly, he's got the robe. Um, No, but one of the things I thought about, I'm so glad you mentioned that sometimes feels like a guy in a costume um, is because it's interesting because like the the skeletal ribs are not like, okay, so the muck man is a big old humanoid pile of muck, Mm -hmm. right? Um, A lot of these creatures really look like what they are, but it, like it's skeletal. Like, yeah, his ribs is obviously like, just something like you yeah. totally wear, see it's wearing and yeah. not actually. Like it doesn't even feel like uh, special effects. It exactly. just literally feels like <laughs> someone spent a little bit more on this Halloween costume. Yeah, exactly. Because it feels like there's some lights lighting in the in the sort of uh, headpiece. The mask has like the glowing eyes. I'm not sure how much of that was in like post. But um, it, it does have like the sure. red glow um, that gives it like an otherworldly kind of nudge. But other than that, yeah, it's it just looks like a premium spirit Halloween costume. <laughs> but we're we we are talking premium though. Yeah, like not to be insulting, they spent some cash so that they could trick or treat. <laughs> yeah, at least one hundred and fifty dollars. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the good stuff. They went to the specialty mask store. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's why I always liked about that one, um, just because it, it felt, again, in, in its own little movie, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, I like all the monsters, but those are the two that definitely stick out the most for mm-hmm. me and always have. I actually had one that um, I, I think deserved a little bit more time uh, or at least more focus in the movie just because we see it for such a short interval. And that's like the um, I'm not even sure what to call it, really. Uh, other than like the electric tendril guy, so it's, mm-hmm. it's like the the guy with like the very vertical mouth yeah. with like the jagged teeth he comes He's out covered in slime. Yeah, he can, kind of looks like a yaucha almost. You know, like one of the predators. Yeah, it's got some. It definitely has some like like feature commonalities, mm-hmm. and the big difference would be it has that. Um, it looks like a spinal, like a kind of semi-metallic spinal cord wrapped around it that it uses yeah. as a weapon yeah and like his rib cage is like completely open like his chest cavity the only thing that's there is like an exposed heart that you can see beating mm-hmm. when the monster first gets introduced he's actually shape-shifted as uh one of the members of the group who's who has already been killed he uh shape-shifts into the person who was just killed earlier but the British lady didn't see that or notice it or whatever because she was in a different room. And then she calls out to him and he slowly walks over 
and then all of a sudden just shape shifts into his true form, which is, um, I'm doubling down on this electric tendril guy. Okay. So in his true form, he uses like, I guess he has like two tendrils that are connected to his arms uh, to like wrap around her limbs, mm-hmm. like restrict her movement. And while that happens, like he's able to like pump electricity into her body the way the film makes it look it's like a these red circles of electricity that just like pulse through her which ends up melting her from the outside it's like yeah she straight up dissolves yeah like her face just like uh stop motion dissolves down and i don't even know if we see bone underneath or if everything just kind of just gets oh she just dissolves like sugar and an old school like hot water like (laughs) elementary school experiment like she's gone My, my my thinking is that that's how he absorbs nutrients is they, they wrap them up in the tendrils, pump the electricity, and then everything sort of liquefies. And then there must be something in the tendrils that just like sucks the whatever nutrients it needs into the body. Mm-hmm. But then the, the monster just disappears after that. Like we don't see it again. Yeah, I know. Like I, f- I feel like... It's such a cool design too. Yeah, I really like it. I would have liked to have seen a little more full body of it. I mean, we see a lot, yeah. so I'm pretty ha- satisfied. I just liked it a lot. And would have liked for it to have a little more screen time because it's cool. And um, I think that there might have been some other shots of that monster, maybe like a full body shot of of those um, mm-hmm. special effects, but that ended up on the cutting room floor when mm-hmm. they fired the original directors and then brought in the new ones. So, I mean, that that's all we have. I, I'm glad that we have that, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I can only go so far with just sort of guessing how to classify it yeah because we're missing some data but it, it seems like it, it would serve as a um some kind of like warrior class like just to get into like a little bit of a nerdy D style mm-hmm. like how this character would operate yeah on paper i guess yeah it, it would definitely be like a berserker warrior kind of class maybe a hybrid where it only really has one natural defense mechanism which is like the tendrils thing yeah like like i like to think of it as uh spider-man's greatest arch nemesis like i i i like to think it was dr octopus but like a way better design for doc ock because it kind of operates the same um and i can imagine it hunting spider-man i could too actually i think so it would be really good at keeping uh, its enemies at a distance because its heart is literally exposed to open air that if you just like, you know, stick a knife in there, it's done. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just able to create so much space from, from itself to make a buffer zone mm-hmm. of death, basically just to, to kill anything and everything around it. Mm-hmm. Cause it does kill her pretty quickly. It does like, and it dissolves her like nothing, which is its own, like, it didn't use that. It used that after she was incapacitated. It didn't use that. I imagine that you could actually lead with that attack because it seemed to be extremely efficient. Like that could do a mm-hmm. lot of damage very quickly. Um, yeah. I mean, if Spookies was a like a fighting video game, like a Street Fighter <laughs> or something, that move would be like the bane of my existence. I would just be so pissed off if someone just kept spamming that move. Yeah, that would be like a cheat code move. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the one... Uh, I don't have like a full rundown for this one, but the one last one that I really wanted to talk about was there's like this sort of reptilian kind of pygmy mermaid sort of thing. 
<laughs> and the sort of thing comes in the place where like its tail isn't like a full mermaid tail, but it basically is. And uh, it just attacks a girl. <laughs> and I love it. I think it's amazing. Um, I don't have nearly enough information to do a full rundown. I, I don't feel like, no. but it's one of my favorite things. I, I just love the way that they look too. Cause like they look like three or four different things. Yeah. Just like glued together. And I uh-huh. love it. I don't. I don't even know how to begin to like generalize it. Right, and that exactly. Like, ergo, like, why I'm just like I feel underprepared, but also I just love it, and I got to bring it up because um, they also <laughs> like the both of you mentioned at different points that the camera angles are sometimes a little bit odd, but that one had very loving camera placement. Like, it has coverage on that thing in a short amount of time. It's on screen. It's like, here's a beautiful side profile. Here's a close up. Like it has better coverage than most of the human characters in that short amount of time. It even has like a really nice shot from above, you know, like from above the bed where one of them slithers underneath the bed. Yeah. Yeah. You you can just, you can tell like how much care and like time they put into that sequence. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like, you know, they, they did like one, casual shot but then the person that spent all that time making it is just like Mm -hmm. i did not spend two and a half weeks and sourcing things all over town so this gets two seconds of one angle of screen time (laughs) like okay 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 (laughs) yeah it's definitely one of my favorite monsters in the film um i would totally just watch like that versus chucky as like a two-hour film oh god yeah just just hunting each other down for two hours with a bunch of casualties i would watch that 700 times right now since it it looks like such a mishmash of like incredibly different things i i have this theory in my head that like it's some crazy genetic splicing where they took some kind of like dna from the creature from creature of the black lagoon and then mixed it with lizard snake dna maybe instead of like snake like iguana or something like that it might also be amphibious yeah that's yeah because it it feels like the we don't get enough time to really look at the design and see it in that environment and put two and two together but it definitely has that sort of like sleek reptilian like designed for aquatic terrain but it's weird though because they kind of just come out of nowhere like Mm -hmm. they, they come out of the ouija board obviously but they just sort of pop up in the room and yep. then they just like eat uh that dude's face off mm-hmm. and then terrorize the lady and slithers underneath the bed and i mean like we've all been there you know like you're just chilling in your office enjoying yourself you're reading your favorite graphic novel and then this little reptilian like tiny mermaid dude that's nowhere near water like comes out kills your friend like yeah i, it I, happens. I tend to see them after benders call them bender snakes <laughs> some people see pick elephants you see bender snakes yeah <laughs> i love it um but yeah that's 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 all i have for for my my favorite monsters uh but i i do want to kind of open this up to because we always end on on a deep note and um you know Ar- aristotle will disagree but this this film is not a philosophical treatise um yeah. But but Andre, would you or Brad have anything either thematically that that speaks out to you, or just anything kind of uh, 
fun factoids, weird, deeper elements of it that you just love to, to think about or talk about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, final thoughts on Spookies. I, I just think it's 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 one of those projects that is the perfect example of too many cooks in the kitchen can really <laughs> fuck things up um, mm-hmm. as well as, but that gave it part of its charm and mm-hmm. it may have not been as great if that wasn't the case. You know, it's, you just don't know. Um, but I think... The overall thing, you know, we have something that I wish could have been bigger back in the day mm-hmm. because it would have inspired more people. I think um, the same thing with the Neon Maniacs had an incredibly troubled production that these movies kind of got shafted on release. But, man, they could have really, like, inspired a lot of people. And I think they they will inspire people now just because these films are readily available at this point. So people can see mm-hmm. them, you know, current filmmakers, upcoming filmmakers. I just think it's one of those important movies as far as spe- special effects are concerned that can um, prove that even if you have a mediocre film like Frankenstein's Army, mm-hmm. but you have killer ass <laughs> monsters in it, mm-hmm. that your mm-hmm. film actually becomes like a different tier of good. Um, because you have some enjoyment in that you need, like bring the monster movies back. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think those three movies like Frankenstein's army, spookies, neon maniacs, the movies are okay, but like the monsters and the special effects in those things make the movies really, really great. Mm -hmm. And if you take a good movie and put that many monsters in it or something, then you're going to have something insanely great you know and Mm -hmm. not something like digging up tomorrow where you hardly see them even though they are incredible monsters yeah it suggests great things but then it it doesn't really yeah it just it just shies away from everything and it's just like it's frustrating because it's like holy shit this could be something really you know cool so it's just that we don't have movies like that we really don't have more modern movies that really take pride in their storytelling and filmmaking along with putting a ton of ton of monsters in it, you know, or, I mean, we have good, we have great movies with one monster, but let's Mm -hmm. have, you know, these like multiple is sometimes the movie just didn't even need to make sense. Just put people, (laughs) pit them up against a bunch of fucking monsters or, you know, you have something, you know, uh, I mean, this is also a counter argument is that you have something like monster brawl. That's just a terrible, terrible movie. And even the monsters can't save it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's I don't know. You just I, I just hope that at some point there's a filmmaker that comes along that sees these things. And it's like, holy shit, this is really cool. I'm going to try to make a decent movie with some awesome monsters and hopefully mm-hmm. somebody pulls it off. Yeah, I mean, I mean, kind of to speak to that point, like it's the reason why, even though all of the the subsequent Godzilla films uh after 54 minus uh you know not considering the monsterverse and minus shin godzilla all of the rest of them don't do anything like 54 did you know that is an objectively good film it is horrific it is frightening it's emotional it's thematically rich uh and a lot of and then 
they didn't replicate that at all. They they went, okay, what if we take this different trajectory and we add these other monsters and we have monster fights in the heart of Tokyo and totally different films, still awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't say they're ex- any of them are the five-star masterpiece of like a 1950s horror film full of thematic meaning that 54 is because it's heartbreaking. But because like what they're doing still works and it's awesome. So they're still great films, you know, they're just different kinds of great films. Yeah. 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 It it seems like it's a, it's more of a commitment to uh, tone and willing to have fun with like the path that you're setting for it. Cause when they were going in to do Godzilla sequels, they were like, okay, it's going to be a kaiju film. We're going to have Godzilla fight another giant monster. This means that it can't be as serious as the original. So why not just have fun with it? Yeah. And like the, the more that they did that, the more like kids got into the movies and then the more that they included kids in the audience of the movies to, you know, for better or worse, but still like they were able to uh, focus on what made those movies enjoyable. Right. And even if, even if they weren't like, you know, uh, good movies necessarily like, you know, I mean, I, I would say they're they they're a mixed bag of quality. If we're being objective, some of them very enjoyable. So, which exactly. goes back to the, which goes back to the beginning of like the subjectiveness of you know rating right. something. It's just like it's you willing to like know what the material that you that you're making uh, is serving, sort of, and then just having fun with that and not trying to uh, battle yourself. Right. In the middle of that project. Right. Because I mean, like, like I'll do, you know, like, like I'm, I'm a film reviewer, like I'll, I'll watch every Oscar winner and appreciate them for what they are. I will also um, spend an entire week watching nothing but Godzilla and Gamera films and consider that one of the greatest weeks I've had this year. So <laughs> there's definitely like that, like virtue in all sorts of these different projects. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask uh, uh, our guest Brad one one more thing, um, and this is this is really just touching on some of the themes that we've we've talked about, and not necessarily about spookies per se, even though it kind of connects to that. I, I yeah, because I I know all three of us are big fans of of cult cinema, of undiscovered uh, of you know lost classics like of weird films. Like I would be what, like I could watch rubber any all the time. Like I love that movie. There's so many weird movies that I just gravitate towards, but, um, you know, some people might not intuitively gravitate towards that type of cinema. Although I would say if they really gave it a fair shot, they'd probably love it. Why do you think cult cinema and some of these earlier weirder ones like spookies and whatever, like, why do you think that people should try and find and pay attention to them? Um, that's a good question. I'm unprepared for, um, but, uh, yeah. Um, I, and this isn't anything derogatory or, um, gatekeeping or anything like that 
Um, this is just a, a, a sincere answer. I think we're at a place to where there's a lot out there and <laughs> we're all very busy people. We work, we have families, um, you know, uh, we're at work for eight hours, we sleep for eight hours, we have eight hours to ourselves, that's not either of those. During those eight hours is traveling back and forth to work, um, fixing dinner, eating dinner with family, spending time with family. So when we're given that two hour hour and a half span of time for enjoyment it's tough because we have so many movies out there everybody's taste is different we have so many great movies we have so many okay movies we have so many bad movies people mm -hmm. in general like familiarity and mm -hmm. they don't want to waste their time with something that might be bad if they're not into it Mm -hmm. So they'll watch Suspiria for the 67th time instead of watching something new to them. And I, I get it. I totally get it. And that's why I'm, I'm not gatekeeping and saying, you know, you're trash for watching the same thing over again. I watch movies over and over too. Um, but I also love to experience new things. I love to find new things. And this isn't, this is way before vinegar syndrome. Like I had somebody mention this mm -hmm. the other day and it's like, Oh, you get to sit around and watch new stuff to try to discover new movies for vinegar syndrome. And said, no, I, I I've been watching a, a, a movie that's new to me every day of my life for the past, mm -hmm. like 30 years. <laughs> you know, I, mm -hmm. I, that isn't something that I do for vinegar syndrome. I, I watch new to me movies it's something that I'm not even considering like, oh, I wonder if this is something I can bring to vinegar syndrome. No, I, I hardly ever do that. Like, yeah, because you wouldn't have worked for vinegar syndrome if you weren't already that guy. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not. It's like, like people think, oh, you watch a new movie, you're searching for stuff. No, we already have our slates done, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. every like once in a while, I'll see something new and I'll be like, holy shit, this is great you know, I wonder where the rights are or, you know, what, what can we do with this? That's actually one of the rare things. I just, I love to experience new movies. You know, I, I am, you know, I'm such a nerd and so obsessed with this. I stress out about how I'm going to die when I'm like 70 or 80 years old <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to see every movie ever made. Like that's the dumb yeah. shit that stresses me out. So like, you know, I, I, I live my life rewatching stuff watching things mm -hmm. with friends, uh, watching, rewatching things with my kid, you know, enjoying that time with them. It feels like I'm watching it for the first time, a new format 4k UHD comes out. I'm going to watch a movie that I've seen a hundred times. Sure. Mm -hmm. But I'm constantly watching new stuff. Yes. My job gives me a little bit more freedom to do that, but I've only been with vinegar syndrome for, you know, going on two years here that, that I've been full time, you know, do, doing all this stuff like consistently, and doing it. Um, but yeah, no, I grew up watching movies for the first time. So to answer your question, since I ramble all the time, I apologize, <laughs> is good. that, you know, people do like that to watch the same thing over and over. And they don't want to waste their time watching something bad and also spending the time searching for stuff because now we're just not at a video store. 
We have the video store in our home. We have the video store in the palm of our hands, searching and scanning. And sometimes you could spend so long uh, with things. And now we have the uh, ability to watch something for five minutes. And if it doesn't grab us, we don't have to run to the video store to return it. We can just yeah. literally hit the back button and go back to the main interface and find something else. Mm -hmm. um, and people just don't want to do that. And I completely understand because we only have a limited time for our day. And we have only limited time on this earth. So why not enjoy your two hours of freedom that you have to rewatch something that you know that you're going to like? And I mm -hmm. think that follows suit into why people don't look to experience new things unless they have a reliable source and someone that they trust to say, Hey, you like, you'll like this movie. And that's why I'm a big, big person of trying to talk people into things. I mm -hmm. try not, cause that's why I like Twitter. Cause I do that a lot with like, I have 140 characters. I don't write a thread. I don't write a review. I don't write too much. I have 140 characters to try to talk you into something. And I love comparing things for things for people because it's okay to take this super rare film and say oh this is like you know this popular movie meets this popular movie and if you're a fan of this popular movie uh and this one you'll like this you know underseen movie that you should seek out and that mm -hmm. encourages people you know, that's why, um, you know, I'm glad, like, kind of like Joe Bob Briggs is back because, you know, he's one that people trust and they gravitate to, um, mm -hmm. you know, so any, any, anybody that likes, and that that's the kind of like the persona that I try to carry is that's why I talk about films that I enjoy that I think people should see. That's why I talk about them a lot online. Um, mm -hmm. And then also it's one of those things where you kind of have to keep going at it and, you know, it's it's funny because like I'll get comments here and there, not derogatory or mean. People will say, "Well, you keep talking about this one movie." Well, yeah, I'm not the type of person that thinks, "Oh, I have one tweet out there about this movie, everybody in the world's going to watch it." No, sometimes you got to keep on it. You got to push mm -hmm. and push and push, and then like a year later, I'll have someone say, "Oh my gosh, I wait, you know, I bought this because of you. You wouldn't shut up about it, and I turned out <laughs> and I loved it." mission fucking accomplished that's yeah. the whole point you know mm -hmm. so i don't know if that really answers your question so much but like I, I i just think it's one of those things where you know you have to tell you don't give up on people like just keep trying keep telling people about cool things cool things you love and you know and and also try to <laughs> be responsible with that because something that i've noticed um is that people do listen to me so mm -hmm. I try to like, you know, pick things and choose things that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be to build that like layer of trust, you know, is like, yeah. oh, you know, Brad yeah. said something about this online. So this, you know, I like these other three recommendations that he's done, you know, because I want people to trust me. And it's the same yep. thing, you know, when people come up to the booth at Vinegar Syndrome, they're like, hey, uh, I don't know any of these movies. What? Tell me something that's good. I will never, ever just tell you something. I will always 100% ask you, what mm -hmm. do you like? Because if I recommend something that you don't like, then you'll never be a customer again because right. you think we have <laughs> shitty movies. <laughs> right. This, this is 
this is uh, I can relate to that so much because like as Andre can tell you as any of the co-hosts can tell you I so maybe over tightly uh carefully book episodes um I'm really picky about topics even because like we'll do like popular stuff like the the witch or Krampus or Godzilla or King Kong and we'll also do like lesser known weird stuff like spookies or uh flesh for frankenstein um but i'm never gonna record something just because well okay maybe this is trending or like i have to legitimately believe in the episode and all of us like whoever is on the episode has to legitimately believe in it because i'm not gonna you know like i you know i'm i want to rep things that i think that people should give a chance to if they haven't seen or that they would love or that like I want it's so important for that love and connection to come out because some of these things are, are stuff that people wouldn't necessarily know to seek out but it could be if they gave it a chance their favorite thing ever yeah I mean yeah, like I, I wonder how many people listening to this now who has listened to our previous episodes it's like has never heard of spookies until now, you know, and it just decides mm-hmm. on a whim, like these monsters sound fucking awesome. Like I want to check this out, and it's like, oh, it, okay, it's streaming on Shutter, or I can go out and buy the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, uh, or if you're lucky, mm-hmm. I can go and rent a physical copy of this Blu-ray, um, and watch it, and then mm-hmm. you know, from there, like that's that's their experience, like whether they're like a diehard. Like we get a new diehard Spookies fan or if they're just like, I don't get what the hype was about. Like the, the important thing is that there is hype about Spookies and that people are right. here to like know about it and that like people enjoy it. And it's not like a, like you need to see this movie. It's more like a, you know what? It, if you enjoy these kinds of things, you would enjoy this. It's kind of, mm-hmm. it's like the curation, um, attitude that a lot of like video stores had you know back then mm-hmm. where you'd have a conversation with the clerk and like they might know you if you come in regularly and like they know what you're renting they know what you're buying uh, and they're like oh you know since you've you really liked watching this movie uh have you have you heard of this movie and then sometimes like oh yeah i, I see i've seen that i like that quite a bit or like no i haven't heard of that i i think i'll pick that up next week you know when i return my rental video or whatever and that's mm-hmm. super important yeah no, i completely agree uh i just wanted to tell you r- real quick brad while i still have you on um i have every time i watch spookies i have this like voice in my head where i know what's not this way this is not the mythos but in my head it is where like the spookies house whatever is like that other nightbreed community in <laughs> like the the, in the literature, you know, where like that's the other community of the Nightbreed, and that's why there's so many random aberrant monsters in one place. <laughs> so for me, this yeah, is like yeah, part yeah. of the Clive Barker world. <laughs> it's like the the elongated title is the Spookies from down the way. Yeah, exactly. And I know it's not, <laughs> but also it is. It is. That's canon yeah. now. No, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. I I feel like that's um. Uh, thank you so much for being on um, and and for your time today. I feel like that's such a, like a good positive set of notes to like end the episode on. 
Um, but I, I do want to give you a chance, Brad, to um, uh, to tell the folks at home where they can find your work and find you and anything else you'd like to pitch. Yeah, I mean, I'm mainly full of shit, so I just tell people to go to vinegarsyndrome.com. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, no, no, it's it's. Uh, I, I talk about movies all the time. I, I mainly just on. I'm on Twitter at this point. Um, I don't really do Facebook or Instagram. I, I try to cut social media out of my life as much as possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I I try to you know stay on top of mentions and everything, mm-hmm. but I do talk about movies quite a bit. Um, I don't necessarily engage into conversations just because like I said, I'm not on social media that much, but you know, if, if you have any questions or anything, always DM me. Uh, I'm open to discuss things. I just don't, I don't really scroll. Um, but yeah, vinegarsyndrome.com. Um, you know, we have another massive sale coming up in November, our, uh, halfway or not halfway our black Friday sale. Black Friday. And, um, you know, we just recently released, uh, through the fire, uh, the lamp and killers delight. So, uh, two yeah. monster movies. I'm looking at there. that copy you of know, the lamp pretty soon before that's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So the lamp obviously has a really cool, you know, monster in that the genie, mm-hmm. uh, through the fire has some cool, uh, kind of demonic, uh, creatures, demon, uh, you know, not creatures really just demonic presence and, and demons and shit like that. Um, but yeah, no, those are our newest releases, uh, that you can find. We have, you know, of course our partner labels and everything, but, uh, we're always doing interesting things I feel. And, uh, you know, we have a crazy, crazy slate for the next couple years lined up. Um, so yeah, we're, uh, always actively doing something. I'm always watching some type of bullshit and I'll probably talk about it (laughs) (laughs) online, but yeah. So that's, uh, and, and my handle's uh, Brad F. Henderson on Twitter. I'm not under any other alias or anything like that. I'm really bad at this, by the way. I'm really I'm really bad at promoting my anything. It's just go to vinegarsyndrome.com and you'll find everything. <laughs> You're awesome. I, I was just going to just throw in this thing here. Since the November Black Friday sale is coming up, um, there at the time that this episode releases, there will be a full-fledged Vinegar Syndrome app. So I guess if you don't want to go to the website on a normal computer, you can you can buy your titles from there. Might be a, a and fun thing. To... I'm terrible at this because I don't <laughs> think about that. Yeah, I mean it's brand new too, and just like I was trying to figure out like why does vinegar syndrome need an app? But like you know what, I don't care. I'm I'm gonna like dump my money in there anyway. Might as well just make it easier for me. <laughs> yeah and and I'll, and I'll just say like for for example one of their recent ones on their front page if you don't like if you haven't seen six string samurai go out right now yeah. after the episode concludes it'll be a short amount of time and buy it just buy it you will mm-hmm. be happy yep. you will enjoy it um thank you so much brad um uh, andre uh tell the folks at home how they can find you yeah um twitter is always the best way to see whatever dumb shit is rolling around my head so uh you can find me at demon disc which is my like name handle because twitter does this weird thing where you can have your display name and then like an mm-hmm. at sign name so it's demon disc trademark or uh at fritz merrill h that's f-r-i-t-z-m-e-r-r-i-l-l-h uh letterboxd i you can follow me there 
uh, hamburger Harry is my handle there. That's that's it. I don't do anything else. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. And and uh, folks at home, you you know how to find me. You already did. Um, uh, thank you for listening, and I will uh, see you next time. Thank you. Stay spooky. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization. The need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 